many of you guys love feeling accepted? Anyone? Or who just loves being denied and rejected? It's, that's fun, right? No, like we love being accepted, right? So how many of us also have ever made a, a dumb decision in their life? Anyone? Sweet, I'm among friends. So when my wife Hunter and I first got married, I know I'm not going to claim that she thinks it was a bad idea to marry uh, me. You can ask her yourself. I think it was a pretty good idea. I'm pretty good. I got some going for me. Um, no, but when we got married, uh, we were uh, poor and kind of stupid, and uh, we were living off one small income, and uh, I, I was at this place early on in marriage. I'm still learning, trying to be rewired, that I used to think, like, all right, if my wife is sad or if she has a problem, it's my job to just, like, fix it, right? So spoiler alert, guys, if you're not married yet, if you're new, if you haven't figured it out yet, from what I've heard and been told, you're just supposed to listen. Sometimes you don't, although then sometimes they do want you to fix it. Anyways, I have no idea. If anyone knows how to understand women, find me after service because I don't get it yet. But anyways, we were kind of like, you know, at that place where like kind of bored with life a little bit. And, and, and I think she was a little sad. You know, she moved here and, and was, we were kind of still trying to figure out what life looked like uh, as a married couple. And I knew that she wanted a dog. So I thought, I don't even like dogs, but I love my wife. So one day I finally said, let's just, let's get a stupid dog. I literally got her a card that said, all right, I love you. Let's get, isn't that true? It said like, let's get a stupid dog because I'm not a dog person. So, but I had stipulations because all good, um, loving relationships have good stipulations, right? No, but, um, I did, I said, here's the thing that we have to do. I get to pick the breed and or like veto what the dog is and I get to name it. And so she said, oh, that's cool, whatever. So, you know, if, if we were smart, we probably would have looked for like the like free to like maybe even someone would pay us to take a dog away. But no, um, we got picky and, you know, we started looking around at different dogs and what we wanted, like, oh, it'd be great if it was hypoallergenic and it's got to be great with kids and we don't want it to be this big or that small. So anyways, we came to, we decided that the perfect dog for us would be a mini Labradoodle. So we thought in theory that it wasn't going to shed. That was a lie. Um, I'm not bitter or anything, but, but anyways, we got a steal for it. We got like half the price because this breeder that we had met, uh, had a new batch of, of, of little baby puppies that were coming out and, and they had some older ones who they were like the opposite of a runt. Like they were bigger than the other dogs. So people didn't want them as much. And so, uh, we decided that we were going to get one of the dogs and, uh, there were two dogs left. There was one, um, and, and we, we, we named both of them beforehand. And we decided that we couldn't decide. Hunter liked one a little bit more than me. I liked one a little bit more than her. We were kind of like both like, I'd be fine with either one. And so we named the dogs, but we decided when we'd go there, like we would let the dog kind of choose us. And we made like kind of stipulations like, hey, no putting like a stake in your back pocket to get the one you want to come to you or anything like that. But one of them was more like dark and had super curly hair. That one we affectionately called uh, Chewbacca. We'd call him Chewy. Uh, when I would call him, I would have went, and it would have been awesome. Sorry, I don't have a very good Chewbacca impression. I'm sorry. Maybe someone else can do a better one. Uh, and then the other one was more of like a longer, scraggly-haired one, kind of had that like homeless chic look to it, um, and it looked more like a lion. And so we, we decided if that was the dog for us, we would call it Aslan, because so, I'm a nerd. Obviously, if you didn't pick up the Star Wars reference, that was helpful there. Uh, but Aslan comes from uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, or if you've ever read or seen the movie The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. So anyways, uh, we're driving there. We're kind of excited, and I'm just going to be real with you guys. Like, I would have been fine with Chewbacca, but, like, I really wanted Aslan. And I don't even like dogs, so I don't know why there was, like, this deep affinity that I had for, 
for him. But like, there was part of me as I'm driving there, like, man, if Haslam doesn't choose this, like, I'm gonna be crushed. Like, I'm gonna feel like I got like cut from the basketball team, or like uh, I got broken up with. Like, anyway, so we walk in. We're we're in like the little kennel area. The two dogs are there, and we just sort of wait. Now, I think we did get down on our hands and knees to try to be like loving and not like weirdos. Um, but anyways, here's the good news. Show the picture. Aslan, the beautiful little dog there, he chose us. He was the first one to come to us. That was, that was kind of what he looked like when we first got him. And, uh, like, I won't lie. It sounds funny. It shouldn't matter that much, especially as a person who doesn't even really like animals. But, like, it felt so good to be chosen, right? It felt so good to be accepted. Here's a picture of our, of our family when my son Gideon was, like, newly born. Like, we are like besties for the resties. Other than the fact that he has literally eaten probably 25 never matches either baby socks and is still somehow alive. This dog is a walking miracle. Um, I don't know if he has a death wish too. Um, but it's funny how like we, we love like the feeling of being like chosen and accepted, right? There's something fun about that. Like when you're, when you're hanging out at like a family reunion, like let's be honest, you want like the little kid to think you're cool, right? Like it hurts your feelings a little bit if you try to get a high five from the little kid and they don't give it to you. Like, don't act like you don't, like you just brushed off. Like, it makes you kind of feel sad. We love to be accepted. Now, some of you are probably like, listen, Pastor, I looked at the bulletin and it said that today we're talking about denial and death. So what in the world are you talking about happy things like dogs and being accepted? The truth is, we, we are talking about that. But, but I think sometimes to understand the power, the hurt of denial, I think we have to understand what it feels to be accepted what it feels to be uplifted, what it feels like that. Because sometimes the hurt from denial or rejection is amplified by the fact that at one point we were accepted. At one point, someone wanted us. Someone someone chose us. Today uh, is commonly referred to as Palm Sunday. And, And on Palm Sunday, it's this celebration of when Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, which is, is, is the capital city. And he's riding in, and there's this big, big moment where people have these, these, these palm branches, and they're waving them, and they're yelling and praising him because they are acknowledging him and accepting him as the new king, that he is the promised one who, who, who is coming from the line of David, and he is the one who has come to save us. In the Gospel of John chapter 12, uh, starting in verse 12, uh, this is this is how, how the story kind of unfolds. It says, the next day. Now, now, if you remember a few weeks ago when we talked about Lazarus, and we talked about how we raised him, he, he got raised from the dead. This is like immediately after this. And so this is, this is what's happening. It says, the next day the great crowd had come from the festival, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Now here's what's kind of crazy and kind of funny. Jesus is riding in on a donkey. Now, now, now how many of you guys have ever seen the movie Aladdin? Have you ever seen the movie Aladdin? When I, when I think of the movie Aladdin, when, 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 when Prince Ali comes in and they have all the crazy, like, huge parade that's happening as he's coming to meet Jasmine, like, that is what I think the Israelites probably originally anticipated that the Messiah King would be. You see, what they thought they thought that they were going to get this, this political warrior. This guy who was going to come in and he was going to just like take on the Roman Empire. He was going to take back them being a power like David did. You see, they wanted David and specifically they wanted the warrior king that David was. 
But instead, they get a man riding on a donkey. Instead of some sort of valiant steed, it's a donkey. Now, they're shouting this word, Hosanna. Now, you'll, you'll, depending on who you talk to or who, who, who says different things, uh, Hosanna roughly means uh, kind of two things in one, which is sort of weird. Uh, it means uh, both praise and save. It means, Lord, save us, but it also means, like, Lord, Lord, uh, Lord, I need you, but also, Lord, like, I acknowledge your, your greatness. And so it's this cry of basically acknowledging the fact that, yes, we need a Savior, and yes, He is here. Now, I have to imagine there's something uniquely interesting for this moment for Jesus. He's been doing all this ministry. He's, been, he's begun to, to gather a following. And there's got to be something interesting that when he knows his true identity as the Savior of the world, that there has to be, in some ways, on the human side of him, because he's both fully man and fully God, on the human side of him, there has to be something that just feels so wonderful about being accepted, being praised, being acknowledged for who he is. But in another sense, there has to be something where he knows that this is the beginning of the end. That him coming forward like this, that him being praised as this, surely means that the religious establishment of that time, who did not like Jesus, who felt like he was abolishing and taking away all the power that they had, he had to know that while he was being acknowledged and praised as the king, he was on his way to his death. You see, it's interesting that Jesus is hes celebrated as king just days before his death. You have to understand that when this happens, it's only a matter of days before the Last Supper happens, before he is arrested, before he is, is tried and eventually killed. It's a week from the time in which he comes riding in to the moment in which he is the resurrected living Savior. I mean, this is a quick turn of events that happen for him. But here's what's very interesting to me. It's interesting to me that the same mouths that probably yelled, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest, the son of the David has returned, are the same ones who just days later will yell, crucify him, crucify him. You know, the truth is, many of us live lifestyles, maybe with our words we don't say them, but with our actions we do. We use the same mouth. To yell Hosanna as we yell crucify him. In James, James is in the uh, New Testament, and, it, it, and it's, a, it's a letter that's written by uh, Jesus' brother James. And, and James talks about the power of our words, the power of, uh, of our tongue. And he says this in James chapter uh, 3, verses 9 through 12. He says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings. We have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praising and cursing my brothers and sisters that should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same tree? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is an ode back to what we talked about last week when Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. When we talked about this idea of, of a tree will be recognized by its fruit. That in our own lives, if we want to say we are followers of Christ, that we are Christians, The big question is, what sort of fruit do we see in our lives? An apple tree cannot call itself an apple tree if there's not apples. If it produces something other than apples, it's not an apple tree. 
what James is, is, is showing here and, and what, what is a, what's a, a deep reminder, because I totally buy into the idea of, you know, we must recognize history because if we don't remember history, we are doomed to repeat it. My friends, if we don't acknowledge this history of yelling Hosanna and then yelling crucify him in the same week, many of us can fall into the same trap that we must be careful with not only our words but our actions. That many of us want to yell, God, save us. God, I love you. We yell Hosanna essentially in our lives. But then we also yell crucify him in other ways. In other ways, we, we deny him. In other ways, we, we choose to live a lifestyle counter to what Christ has called us to. And then oftentimes we say, God, where were you? I yelled Hosanna. We oftentimes wonder why sometimes our life becomes a mess. We, we wonder why Christ is nailed to the cross in our own lives still in some ways because we're the ones who put him up there. We don't want to acknowledge that sometimes. If you look at the Gospel of John chapter 18 and chapter 19, in there you, you find the story in which uh, Jesus is arrested and, and tried and he's denied and eventually crucified. And I'm not going to read all of it this morning because that would take too long. But, but, but before we get deep into this part of the story, all of us, you know, I said we all love being accepted, right? But we all have experienced denial and rejection, right? Or maybe not. Maybe I'm just the only one. Like most of you guys probably have always gotten what you wanted, right? Like no one's ever told you no. You've probably never had a fine honey that you like really wanted to get with who didn't feel the same way than you, right? You've probably never had that. You've probably never had a sports team or, a, or, or some sort of musical or, or acting thing that you tried out for that you deeply wanted that you got rejected from, right? you never had a family member who you wish you had a deeper relationship with who didn't feel the same way. No, we're, we're all, as humans, part of being human is to experience hurt to experience denial, to experience rejection. And let's be honest, it's painful. It's hard. We don't like it. I think if we're honest, when it comes to like a breakup or like a firing from a job, like I think all of us would probably say, even though it, it, like none of it's fun, like we would always rather be the one breaking up or the one firing than the one being broken up with, with or the one being fired, right? Because rejection hurts. It's difficult I mean, I will never forget. I know I've told you guys, many of you guys have heard this story before. But again, I firmly believe that I was supposed to be in the NBA. Um, that God, God had, 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 had made it my destiny that someday I was going to be the point guard for the Detroit Pistons, that I was going to lead them to a dynasty of championships. But he knew long, long before that that I was going to you know, go into ministry and that was more important. And so that's the reason why in, in seventh grade, uh, I didn't make the basketball team. That's the only reason why. I'm in denial, okay? But, but I mean, for real, I, I remember that hurt. I remember going to the board and not seeing my name. That really stunk. I can remember before I moved here, many of you guys have heard the story about how, how there was a, a phone call I was waiting for, and the phone call didn't come, and that was my confirmation of that I was coming here. But many of you don't know before then that, 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 that for about a year, I was anticipating the idea that I was going to be planting a church. 
that I was going to go to a community and I was going to start a, a new church. And, and that had been the plan and it felt so right. It felt so much like it was the right thing. And it was about uh, uh, two months before my, my last job at my last church was ending. And the, the rug got pulled on it. It didn't happen. And that stunk. I had so much of my, my, my life and my heart invested in the idea. Denial and rejection is tough. And so as Jesus has had the Last Supper at this point, He's prayed in the garden. In John 18, John's Gospel, you've got to remember, each Gospel kind of gives us different pieces. Sometimes we, we blur them all together, and while they are one story, each author gives sort of a different take in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and, and John in particular uh, goes kind of interesting, but in John 18, 4 through 6, it's, it's saying this. This is after Jesus is, is in the garden already, and, and he's, he's there. It just says this, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out, because this at this point he's got the torchbearers are coming to find him, and he says, who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And, and Judas, the traitor, which was one of his disciples, was standing with him. And when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and they fell to the ground. Now let's unpack some stuff for just a moment. So if we go way back to the beginning uh, in, in Genesis, we've kind of talked about that the Gospel of John is sort of like a new Genesis. Then in the beginning of John, it talks about in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and it talks a lot about light and darkness. And at the very beginning of the, 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 the creation account in Genesis, it talks about the world being formed and light coming to darkness, and God creating everything and creating order. Now, throughout Scripture, especially in the New Testament, there are many of, of Jesus' followers who, who later claim uh, Jesus being the new Adam. Adam is the first man ever created. Uh, from the very beginning. And so that Jesus becomes the new and the perfect Adam. You see, if, if you remember, if you've never heard the story, what, what happens is, is uh, Adam eventually gets a, a wife named Eve, and they're told to not eat fruit from a certain tree. Well, spoiler alert, uh, after being tempted by the devil, they eat the fruit. And as soon as they eat the fruit, they acknowledge the fact that they are naked, and they f- experience shame and guilt, and that is the beginning of sin. And if you remember... Afterwards, they try, to, they try to cover themselves up. But do you remember what they do? What Adam and Eve do after they eat the fruit? They hide. You know, at this point in, in the story of God's relationship with his people, it, it talks about, which I think is just so neat, and I think that's what heaven will be like. Like, God would just come and he would dwell among the people. Like, he would walk with them. And so when God comes to find them, Adam and Eve are hiding. They are ashamed. They are fearful because they have sinned and they knew they were in the wrong. Now it's interesting as we get to the Gospel of John that we again find a man in a garden. A man in a garden and someone coming to look for him. But you see, in the Gospel of John, you have that that was without sin. That sin was trying to find. It's the reversal. It's the reversal. And it's interesting that instead of hiding, like Adam did, Jesus just steps up. Now, I want to read to you guys uh, from from one of my favorite theologians. His name is N.T. Wright. 
Uh, He's an English dude. He has a great accent, which is always great. I'm not going to try to read in an English accent. But this is what he writes about kind of this this interchange. And and, and I I thought about trying to say it in my own words, but he just says it beautifully, I think. And he's talking about this. He says, Jesus doesn't hide. He has no reason to. The Father has given him a cup to drink, and he's going to drink it. The agony in the garden, so movingly pictured in Matthew, Mark, and especially Luke, is missing from John. John has already shown us three times over. Jesus' heart has been deeply troubled. The moment has now passed. He is ready. The new Adam steps forward to meet the old. The word was and is God comes to meet the world. The light of the world stands before those who in their darkness come with torches and lanterns. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness is not going to extinguish it. I mean, it's this beautiful, beautiful picture of Jesus redeeming everything that had went wrong before. That the one who claims I am who claims the divinity, who claims the connection. We've talked a lot about the I am statements. The man who says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of all the world. Is stepping up now and saying, I'm going to be the perfect sacrifice. I mean, guys, this is incredibly, incredibly good news. So here's what the important things are from this story. From what we can learn from this. What is very, very good news. His rejection led to our redemption. His rejection led to our redemption. You see, without the death on the cross, we never get the redemption that eventually happens when he rises from the dead. Again, there was a debt that had to be paid. Without it, we were sunk. We were like a ship that was sinking that had no hope. And Jesus came and he rescued us. It all began because of his rejection without him going. I mean, that's again why, why what's crazy in all of this story is the fact uh, that, that, that Jesus, uh, what's kind of neat, I think, is that uh, when Jesus is arrested, Peter steals a sword from someone and cuts off their ear. I mean, come on. Like, that's like better than anything like you'd find in like a Hollywood movie. And then what's even crazier is that Jesus being arrested just decides like, oh, just one sec, let me heal this dude's ear. I mean, it's kind of crazy. But while his disciples want to stop everything from happening, Jesus is saying, no, this must happen. My rejection is going to lead to redemption. Without the rejection, we don't get the redemption. But what's interesting is slowly we see that all the disciples will eventually deny him. Peter in particular has three times he denies him, and he's the one who is outwardly saying, Jesus, I'll never, ever, ever, ever deny you. And three different times... He denies him. Now, it's important because later on, if you read to the end of John, um, Jesus kind of reinstates him and and has to do with these three things. But my friends, this is this is this is kind of how I would I would break it down and, and how I'd love for you guys just to take this in wherever you're at this morning. I don't I don't know everyone in this room and I don't know where everyone's at with Jesus. I don't know where everyone's at right now in this moment. For some of us, we 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 may we may feel worthless. I mean, the idea of just getting out of bed this morning was a huge accomplishment because we just, we don't feel valued. We experience a lot of rejection and denial in our own life and we, we feel that way. Some of us, maybe we, we're, we're walking on cloud nine. Life is good. We picked Loyola to make it to the final four and we're going to make a lot of money on our bracket. I'm not one of those people, sadly. But here's a truth that maybe a lot of us really just need to hear. 
Uh, Jesus was denied so that we could be accepted. He died so we could live. While we may still experience denial and rejection in our life, while we still will someday experience death in our earthly bodies, the good news is we don't have to fear those things. The truth is when we experience rejection and denial from people today, I want you guys to know that that Jesus says, "I, I feel that hurt with you. I feel that hurt with you. He quotes the psalm in, 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 in the Gospel of Matthew. He, he quotes the psalm, this idea that, 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 that the, the, the stone that the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone. That the thing that the builders have rejected, the thing that the people have rejected, is now the central figure. Jesus says in that, listen, I can identify with you. I understand rejection. I understand denial. I understand pain. But the good news for us is that eternally, we don't have to experience denial or rejection. Eternally, we don't have to experience death. We have the opportunity to experience life. You know, it all comes back to the, to the famous verses that, that most of us have probably heard at one time or another in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, 16 and 17, where he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish would have eternal life. And then he continues on and he says, For God did not send his son to condemn the world, but he sent his son to save the world through him. Here's the thing. Some of us feel as if we can never measure up to God. That we are, we're like a damaged package that God doesn't want. That we're junk. And I want you to know this morning, that it is a lie from Satan himself. That Jesus doesn't want you perfect. He wants you to be in perfect relationship with Him. That He says, listen, you need to stop buying into the lies in which that you have been rejected by me or my Father. That you will die someday because I died already and I rose again. Spoiler alert, next week Easter we're talking about the fact that it doesn't end at the cross. That it ends with an empty tomb. He says, listen, you are not junk. You are my son, you are my daughter. That I paid a precious, precious amount for. I mean, think about that. The God of all the universe has everything. I mean, can create everything. Can you imagine the fact that he traded his perfect son, whom he deeply loved, the thing, the person that he loved the most, he traded it for you and for me. And I don't think that's something that he looks back and says, man, that was a bad, bad trade. I don't think so. I think every time that we take steps forward towards him, every time we begin to acknowledge what our identity truly is, that it's not broken, damaged goods, that it's not something that that, that no one would ever want. And when we just accept the fact that you were loved so much that that the creator of the world, the light of all the world, the bread of life, the vine, the good shepherd, he died for you because he loves you. And that all we have to do is say, Jesus, I'm sorry for what I've done. 
I'm sorry for the times I've neglected you. I'm sorry for the times that have been against you. And just say, will you forgive me? Here's the good news. He will. It's not like a, there's certain things where he's like, ooh, let me like look through this list real quick and be like, ooh, sorry, that one's too weird for me to forgive. Oh, that one you've waited too long to ask for. There's no expiration date on forgiveness, guys. There's an expiration date on our earthly life, but there's not an expiration date on his forgiveness. So my friends, I urge you this morning, wherever you're at, seek it. Because he loves you. Because he knows what it's like to feel unwanted, unaccepted. And he doesn't want you to feel that way. He wants you to come home. He wants you to feel his embrace. I'm going to ask you guys to stand as, as I'm going to pray. And, and we're, going to, we're going to close out the, the service singing a song. Would you guys pray with me? God, I just thank you for, God, your love. And God, I thank you for the fact that, God, your love is something that is so beautiful. God, I hate the feeling of rejection. God, I hate when I don't get what I want. God, I hate feeling as if I'm, I'm worthless or, or, or feeling as if people aren't with me. God, I know that was the feeling that your son had when he was in the garden and he said to his disciples, just stay with me and pray, and they fell asleep. God, I know that had to be those the feeling that he felt. God, when he's going through the trial and everyone had abandoned and everyone had left him, they denied him. God, when he was in the garden and he even said, God, if it's possible, could you take this cup from me? And you were silent in that moment. God, I can't imagine that feeling. But God, I know that your son Jesus took on that feeling so God, we wouldn't have to feel it. God, so our story could be different. That our stories could could not have to end in death but could end in life. That our stories didn't have to end in, in rejection but God could be acceptance into the family, into the kingdom. God, I don't know everyone's story here. God, I know some people are probably carrying heavy, heavy things. God, past hurts of where they've been rejected and denied. God, feelings and voices in their head that tell them that they are not worthy, that they could never measure up. God, I command in the name of Jesus Christ that those voices would shut up. And God, that they would hear your voice saying, I love you. I bought you with a very costly and precious price with my son Jesus because I love you. And I don't make junk. I made you in the image of me. You are beautiful. You are smart. And you are my son. You are my daughter. And I wish nothing more than for you to just come home to embrace me. My son has taken care of your tab. My son has paid your debt. God, I pray that if there's someone in this room this morning, God, maybe who's never never given their heart to you. God, I pray that maybe this could be the moment where everything changes. God, where they step into their true identity. God, when they cast out the the voices that are lies. And God, they hear that they are loved. God, I pray for those, maybe those of us who've walked away. Those of us who at times have yelled Hosanna and yelled crucify him in the same breath. God, would you forgive us? 
God, would you draw us near? God, would you just make us so ever-present of your presence? And God, would you make us thirst for you? Make us thirst for your forgiveness, your grace, your mercy, and your love. God, like we need water on a hot day. God, I love you. And God, I just thank you for your son, Jesus. And God, I thank you for the facts that through him, God, we can stand confidently in relationship with you. We can have assurance in our standing with you. That we can be assured that your love is good and it's never ending. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.